I I felt like I built my community. Okay. To Whistler, uh, because I, before coming to Whistler, I'd lived in Italy for two years, and uh, for me, it was really hard to leave Italy. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, and and my work, and and just the community. I lived yeah. in Rome. I loved the city, oh. and um, it, yeah, I know yeah. it was really really hard. Yeah. <laughs> hard. But anyway, um, we came here and. Um, and uh, so I found I found my community because I don't ski. Well, yeah. I did, but badly. Um, <laughs> and so where do I fit? You know, you yeah. start to say, well, where do you fit? And I had this goal of writing and, and I found, you know, my community, I think is the way to, you know, I just feel so grateful uh, that people responded to the ad, that people continue to come, that people yeah. support me. And um, I feel as that's where I was able to come back to who I was when I was a child. My fellow sophisticated creatives, welcome to JCV Art Studio from the dressing room. Ozzy is, you know, here with me. Hopefully he'll behave. We had uh, across the street, the neighbors had a jackhammer this morning, ripping up their pavement. They left. <laughs> There's a bobcat over there. I'm hoping they've left. So <laughs> fingers crossed. I'm excited to have this oh so many so many hats this this author this coordinator this creative wears I actually was trying to get her on the podcast last year she's extremely busy I'm glad I have her now Stella Harvey is with me today Stella was born in Cairo Egypt and moved with her family to Calgary as a child. Stella founded the Whistler Writing Society, which each year produces the Whistler Writers Festival and other literary programs under her direction. Stella is a fiction writer whose short stories have appeared in the Literary Leanings Anthology, the New Orphic Review, Emerge Magazine and the Dalhousie Review. Her nonfiction has appeared in Peak News Magazine, The Question, and The Globe and Mail. Signature Editions published her first novel, Nikolai's Daughters, in 2012, 
and a Greek publisher published the translation in 2014. The Brink of Freedom, another of her novels, was published in October 2015. And her third novel, Finding Caladore, is Stella's third novel, as I said, and we are going to talk about this book today. Lastly, Stella is also the mentor at Simon Fraser University's Writer's Studio. Stella, it's good to have you on here. Thank you so much, Joanna. Thank you. Good. So Stella, you and I have a mutual friend, Carol Ann. Mm -hmm. She has been my critique partner and good friend uh, for over 20 years now. And I remember Carol Ann telling me about the 2019 Whistler Writers Festival and you were launching Finding Caladore. And trust me, she she ran through the pronunciation with me a few times. Okay. <laughs> um, and as it happened, I was able to go to that festival. I was with Caroline and her son Nick. We were at your launch on the Friday night. I remember it. Uh, you signed my novel, and who would have thought that as crazy as this pandemic is, it has been able to bring us together. Yes. Yes. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? How we come together <laughs> electronically and uh, in different ways from, yeah, all over the world. The festival in 2020 was like that. It was a real eye opener okay. in terms of how the, you know, how many people came from outside of Canada yeah. uh, because they could, yeah. um, because it was completely virtual. So yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> well, I hope, because I know I have a lot of questions for you about your book, but I hope if we have time, we can chat about what it was like putting on last year's festival. Mm -hmm. Just, yeah, because I, I can imagine that was, that was quite the endeavor. Mm -hmm. Yes, okay. it was. Yep. <laughs> so I seriously want to know what is in your Greek yogurt? Because I thought I was busy, but uh <laughs> you know, you're an author, you're the creative director behind the Whistler Writers Festival. You're a mentor in the writer's studio at Simon Fraser's University. Um, when do you write? Um, I typically you write first thing in the morning. I get up fairly early before the, the, the before the birds is what I call it. <laughs> and um, I'm not a naturally quiet person, as you could probably tell. <laughs> And also, you know, I find I feel like my strength is in organization. And so that comes fairly easily for me, whereas I think writing comes it's, it's much more difficult for me. And so it's really um, the early morning when it's dark. Um, I feel as though I can be quiet in my body, in my, you know, myself, I can be quiet and the world hasn't woken up yet. So perhaps the world of my characters um, has woken, you know, woken up. And so um, I typically write first thing in the morning, you know, before, well, I'm usually up by 4.30. I don't like to say that out loud. <laughs> But um, yes, typically I'm up by 4.30. And so it's 
you know, um, and that's, and I write until my husband basically gets up. And then after that, uh, I go back to it in for again, another hour or so. And, um, and that's about it. And then I start everything else because otherwise, you know, it, it, uh, I just need that quiet. This is the only way to describe it. <laughs> Your characters are probably thinking, can we come out now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly too. You know, if I get stuck, um, you know, in this, especially in the summer or well, even in the winter when I go and, you know, um, shovel my many, many steps to the house uh, or in the summer working in the garden, it's interesting that um, just doing something completely different, um, not work work, but, you know, something completely different uh, allows me to, allows those characters back in. And if I'm having trouble, it's interesting how I find something in the garden, like (laughs) a thought will come to me, or if I'm walking or something, the thought will come to me, and I'll go, that's what it is. That's what it is. But again, I think it's the practice doing it every day. As I tell my students, even if you do it for five or 10 minutes, it keeps the characters, the story in you. And so even if you're away doing something else, working in the garden, going for a walk, a run, whatever you're doing, um, it it stays there and um, you'll get inklings and ideas and, and whatever. And so that, I think, really helps. I don't know how many times I've washed my hair. And that's when an idea comes to me. Yeah. And how many times after I'm like, okay, did I be put conditioner in or not? Because <laughs> you're just, you've, you've totally, you're not there. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah no, you, you go into the world that you're creating, I think. And uh, yes. And I always think that that's when I've got it is when um, I forget that I've washed my hair or forgot what I was doing in the garden because I've got to run in and write something down. And uh, I don't know if I did this or if I put this away or what the heck, because everything is um, is focused on what it is I want to get on the page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when did you start writing um, or when did you realize you were a writer or you are a writer. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if I realized that yet, but anyway, (laughs) um, I think I was, I know I was writing as a kid and, uh, you know, I, I wrote in school. I was the editor of the school newspaper in high school. I wrote a lot of letters to newspapers, articles, et cetera, about stuff that God knows what I thought I knew when I was 16. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I, did, I did it anyway. And, um, and uh, but then, and I was actually being guided that way by guidance counselors, et cetera. And then I just, you know, I became a social worker. I went, I went to university and uh, had both my bachelor's and master's degree in social work. Um, and spent a lot of my, you know, the first part of my career um, working in um, various fields, but social services and corrections. Mm-hmm. And then in, uh, for a while as well, director of, a, of an adult uh, corrections, correctional facility. Mm-hmm. And then um, from there, I, you know, I spent some time as uh, the director of the impaired driving program in Alberta and, and other roles, and then went into the private sector. 
uh, from government into the private sector. And so um, really, I didn't come back to writing. I mean, I did a lot of writing in my, in my work, in my career, but not any, you know, any sort of fiction writing. Anyway, uh, so really, it was when I moved to Whistler and, okay. um, and started to think about how do you know, I had written, um, when I first moved to Vancouver years before that, um, uh, I felt quite lonely in Vancouver. Okay. And um, I, I put an outline together for a, a novel then. Yeah. Um, I was still working full time and, and put a novel together, you know, an outline for a novel together back then. Didn't do anything about it. Then I was tracked and I went to work in Europe for three years oh, wow. and didn't do anything in terms of writing and then came back and settled in Whistler when I came back. And uh, it was then that I started to think, well, I wonder if I could resurrect this outline and do something with it and whatever. And I went to the library and, uh, talked to the head librarian, then Joan Richaud, and said, you know, is there a writing group here, or a writer's group that I could join? And she said, um, no, why don't you start one? And I went, you know, like I have a tendency to run before I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's really awful, actually. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> um, so I started a writing group, and oh, wow. uh, that's, you know, that's basically how I started writing. So I would say about 20, 20 years ago. Um, yeah. And then from there came the festival and, and other things. But uh, the first meeting, I put an ad in the paper in the first meeting, there were 23 people in my living room. <gasps> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, Some wow. of those people are still, you know, part of this group. I mean, it's just really, really interesting, isn't it? And have gone on to publish work, et cetera. Um, so yeah, it's really quite an interesting thing, but I, it, it's kind of like, I, I felt like I built a, my community. Okay. To Whistler, uh, because I, before coming to Whistler, I'd lived in Italy for two years and I, for me, it was really hard to leave Italy, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, and, and my work and, and just the community. I lived in Rome. I loved the city. Oh. And um, yeah, I know it was really, really hard. Yeah. <laughs> hard. But anyway, uh, we came here, and um, and uh, so I found I found my community because I don't ski. Well, yeah. I did, but badly. Um, <laughs> and so, where do I fit? You know, you yeah. start to say, well, where do you fit? And I had this goal of writing, and and I found you know my community. I think is the way to. You know, I just feel so grateful uh, that people responded to the ad, that people continue to come, that people yeah. support me. And um, I feel as that's where I was able to come back to who I was when I was a child. Yeah. Oh, wow. Lots resonating with me. Um, so that's, I'll just quickly, when we moved from Victoria to here, really hard on me okay mm -hmm. it's weird because realistically all the checks this yeah. move realistically every every check yeah. right but like you said your heart and you, you, unless you talk with someone who yeah. has had such a connection to a city yes you know people look at you like what do you mean your heart you know <laughs> and but and and like you said lonely 
Yes. You're, you're like, where, like, like you said, where do I fit in here? Yes. yes. And I, I think it's uh, because of that loneliness, that's where you, you find how to make your connection. And that's where this podcast came in. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. interesting, interesting, yeah. Stella. So let's talk about your book. Can you give us a summary of what Finding Caladore is about? Well, it's really about uh, belonging. It's a, it's a, you know, historical fiction. Um, it's got, you know, it's a multi-generational story of one family and the impact of uh, world events and what's happening with them um, uh, through almost a hundred years of their history. And um, the impact from one generation to the other, I really wanted to experiment with um, because I have a number of different voices in my head. Um, I wanted to experiment with the idea of starting in one section with um, a protagonist or a few in my case, um, and and then changing protagonists in each section of the book. Um, although they're all related and to look at the impact um, of each generation uh, and how their lives have changed uh, throughout the generations. But really at its heart, I think is the theme of belonging and um, similar to what we talked about before. um, It's around where do you fit and where do you belong, particularly when you're born in particular, you know, in one country, for example, and then you're moved to another country, raised in another way as well. Yeah. Um, how, how do you find your place of belonging? Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. And just to give you a heads up. If the little stinker gets too out of hand, we'll just pause momentarily. Okay. He can hear, he can hear the bobcat. Okay. Yeah, yeah so, no problem. Don't okay. worry. <laughs> so in your book, you have newspaper clippings mm-hmm. as part of the book, like as like the new chapters. Mm-hmm. And um there's like you like you said, a hundred years. So we start with the Daily Telegraph. Okay, just one moment here, Stella. Okay. You have newspaper clippings mm. as part of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, the first newspaper clipping is from the Daily Telegraph, mm-hmm. and it's dated November 1st, 1918, mm-hmm. Surrender of Turkey. Mm-hmm. The last newspaper clipping is almost 40 dead after migrant boat sinks off Turkey. Mm-hmm. January 30th, 2016. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, like you said, this novel covers a hundred years. And I was wondering, an author doesn't do something just for the sake of it. There is always a reason. So I was wondering what your reason was for including the newspaper clippings, which I thought was a great idea. 
It wasn't really my idea, actually. <laughs> you know, I belong to a critique group as part of the and uh, as part of the writers uh, group, and um, and someone in my group actually had suggested that because I was you know playing around with. Um, you know, with different chapter headings. But what's really important to this family is they are very politically aware. Yeah. Um, they're very, uh, even in their own way, radicals. <laughs> Not necessarily <laughs> radicals, but, in, you know, they're, they're engaged in their community. They're engaged in politics. They're engaged in the news. The newspaper yeah. plays, a you know, quite a role in the um in the family you know that's where they get their news and um so someone in my group had suggested that and um so then i started to do some research um and to try to find some of the some of the headlines to cover the period because then i started to think about well it was a great idea and what the purpose does it serve? Well, it serves the purpose that one, that the news was so, such an important thing for the family, the generations of the family, but also when you're going over a hundred years of, you know, spanning a hundred years of time, it's nice that the clippings, the newspaper clippings, the headline clippings, reflect what is not only going on within the family unit, but also what's going on globally in their world. Um, it also keeps you, keeps the reader um, on track as to what was going on at that time in the world. So, it, you know, it is historical fiction. The, the novel is historical fiction. But, you know, we forget what, you know, I mean, we weren't alive, neither one of us at that time. So people forget their history, which is another reason for me, I think, with my writing, um, especially with historical fiction, I'm doing something different now, but with historical fiction, it's to remind people so that we don't forget the mistakes of the past. Yes. Um, you know, um, and, and what that those things lead uh, people to do yeah. uh, and countries to do. So I know that's a long answer, but I think it really serves multi multiple purposes. Yeah. Um, headlines, uh, both keeping people on track, but also as a reminder of what was going on globally and its impact in particular on an individual family. Well, it's it's interesting because, and we're going to get into this, like like my next question, is uh, as I was reading that book, I could see parallels to our times now. Mm -hmm. And, um, oh, yeah. And for instance, um, on, I have it here, page 40, the, the first thing that struck me was you mentioned this scathing article that was written in the Toronto Star titled The Night Toronto Hunted Greeks. Mm -hmm. I had no clue, no clue whatsoever that this, this had happened. Mm -hmm. um, now, this was like, I may have been two. So <laughs> give me, give me, all right, okay. It was, but I'm glad, but immediately I stopped and I'm now Googling, you know, and yeah. I'm, I'm learning about there were riots. Mm -hmm. and anti-Greek riots. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to air Canada's dirty laundry, 
but we are not innocent. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know this had happened. And I, I believe that we need to educate and make people aware, mm-hmm. just like what you said, of what has happened. Um, so can you explain why, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. well, it, it's interesting. It, uh, it happened in, you know, 1918. Oh, good. I wasn't even born. Okay. No, you weren't even born. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and um, there was a, um, somebody from the, you know, like a private or a, you know, someone from the armed forces, like the Canadian armed forces was in a Greek restaurant in Toronto. And he became, um, he was drunk and uh, he'd been a frequent guest of the restaurant, but anyway, he got drunk and he, you know, uh, I guess abused the waiter there and the waiter, you know, threw him out. And that was the start of the riots. And, you know, the belief was at the time, which is just so fascinating to me, is the belief was that Greece was not a part uh, of the Allied forces um, in World War I. Well, they were originally neutral. The king was neutral. And then, uh, but supporting you know, the, the forces on the, and, uh, and, uh, and then became, became involved. And, but it was just a matter of ignorance and they, you know, people destroyed Greek businesses in Toronto at the time. It was the big, you know, up until then, the biggest riot that had ever happened, destroyed all sorts of Greek businesses, uh, uh, shops, uh, you know, it was, uh, yeah, no, I don't think it's talked about. Um, um, and so I did, it was just an interesting thing um, to discover in my research and to then meld it into the novel because eventually, you know, one of the offspring ends up in Canada, yes. right? And so, um, and as he's deciding to leave, um, his father says to him, like, these people don't know, they're ignorant. What are you going to this country? They don't understand. Um, but I, th- I think, you know, there hasn't been a lot written about Greeks in either war. No. And yet, you know, um, you know, Winston Churchill, what did he say? He said that um, uh, Greeks should, or um, I don't think, I don't say Greeks fight like heroes. I say Greek, uh, Greeks, um, sorry, I'm getting the statement wrong, but it was Greeks fight like heroes or heroes fight like Greeks. That's what it was. Heroes fight like Greece. It was the opposite. And uh, because of the sacrifices Greeks made both in World War I and World War II, but we don't hear a lot about that. And uh, so it... um, it was important to me when I did discover it to include it and in, in weave it into the into the novel. And that is the key word, weave. This is fiction, but you do it so well. Weave is, oh, perf- yeah, that's perfect how you brought the research in. And we're gonna, I'm going to talk about the research for sure. Um, everything is so woven. So just like beautifully, like threads. And 
So it's 1918. We have World War One. You also have the Greek prime minister. And he, like you said, he is siding with the allied forces. Okay. Uh, the, the king is feuding with the, the prime minister. And I learned so much, um, you know, because you have the Greek people there divided between the prime minister and the king. Mm-hmm. And you you write about the realities of the war so well. Um, you, you have the two brothers, their points of view. You show how war tore communities apart, mm-hmm. um, neighbors apart, families apart. And um, when I was coming up with my questions, you know, my father was in World War II. Mm-hmm. And I remember him saying, war is never the answer. And I had written that down that I thought, no, 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 I'm not going to put that. And then I'm reading your novel and it's Caladore who says nothing good came from war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's so true. Right. And we don't seem to learn from that experience. <laughs> no. And, you know, and sometimes I feel we get this, um, this Hollywood projection of war. And like I say, with the, the families, those brothers, what they go through and how you write it, it has impact. But, you know, you're not trying to, you know, get gory with the reader. You just say what happens. And you, it's almost like like with Alfred Hitchcock, you say what happens and our imagination does the rest. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So your book isn't just about Nikos. Did I say that right? Yes, that's perfect. And Vasilius? Vasilis. Vasilis. Okay. Okay. It's also about Katerina. Mm -hmm. And she is strong. Mm -hmm. Uh, She goes back to the family home and it's being burnt burnt to the ground. And there's a lot more about that. Um, I don't want to give anything away. And she is strong and she's married to this this man and you know his father's living with him and i have to say (laughs) there were times when i'm reading about katarina's husband because um and and she is told because she is a girl and her brothers have not returned from war by law she cannot own the family farm Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. she works and she basically takes it from ashes and turns it into something. And I am telling you, I was reading that and I could feel my heart rate just start to beat. Mm-hmm. Those, those were the times for those women. Yes. Yes. And, you know, there's still, you know, women are still, I mean, I think in that society, um, or yeah, I mean, they're part of the workforce, all of that sort of thing. But I think that uh, certainly, you know, in my you know father's generation, for example, they didn't own property even then. Yeah. You know, like it was something that men did. You know, <laughs> not women. And um, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, everybody has come a long way, yeah. um, but those were the realities. That was the reality and not even questioned at the time. 
right? I mean, not even questioned at the time. You just did what you had to do to survive as Katerina does. Uh, Yeah. And more. (laughs) Katerina. Oh, yeah. And I remember one of the newspaper clippings, I think it was 1952, Mm -hmm. women got the right to vote. Yeah. 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 I went to an exhibit in, um, in uh, Athens when I was there doing research and they, you know, it was about the, you know, sort of the history of where the women's movement in Greece. And so actually that clipping comes from there, <laughs> from that show. Um, it was, uh, you know, photography, the photography uh, exhibit yeah. and uh, really, really lovely, really well done. But it was from that particular exhibit where that headline came from. Excellent. All right. So we move, we're now about two generations later. Like you say, you cover a hundred years and we get into Callie's life. Yeah. Okay. Now, what blew me away is her, when you said earlier, lots of voices, her speech, her voice, it is so different from Katerina and Nikos, Nikos and Vasilis. Yeah, perfect. Okay. okay. And their mother, Caladore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I usually sit in this room because I'm, I'm reading and um, I'm, I'm typing up questions. And I did. I sat back from the novel and I thought about the different characters, the different voices over the, over the generations. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, this was written by one person. Okay. So... Bravo, because you, very distinct voices, bravo. And um, when you were writing, did you tackle any one generation at a time or just how, how did, how do you, how did you keep control of those voices and even the dialect and how they pronounce their words? Mm. Yeah, I see my hair, I tear it out. I don't know. Like, I, I think for the most part, I have this, I have a tendency to start in first person. So if I hear something or, you know, if I hear, I know this is going to sound strange, but sometimes, sometimes I hear my characters. And okay, I get it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, so as a writer, you would get it. I get it. <laughs> other people would probably be calling the psychologist hotline right now. <laughs> but um so, you know, I will hear a voice and will uh, hear it. And so I, I try to start in first person, like try to, well, what are they saying? And um, and just write that, you know, I'll later figure out whether it goes into third person, past tense, all of that kind of thing. Um, but initially... It's that spark of first person when I hear that voice or I hear um, something somebody said, you know, like you get because the other thing about being a writer, you eavesdrop on everybody's conversation. (laughs) And you go, oh, that's an interesting guy. Oh, I wonder about that. And I can use that. And, and I think because this was, you know, I already had a plan of dividing it up into sections. 
um, that, uh, you know, that really helped. I sort of knew that um, I would get to a certain conclusion in each section um, and that it would have to be carried on by the next set of protagonists. Yeah. That helped a lot because it, it kind of contained, um, it contained it for me. So um, in the second section uh, with the brothers, uh, well, and it starts with the mother, right? Wow. Uh, with Caladora, and it, it starts with her and then goes into the, the her sons and then Katerina and, and whatever. I sort of saw that as one section. And then the next section, I, I could separate my um, the characters that way. But I think the key is, is uh, I do have a tendency to start in first person. I hear a voice or some sound or something, and I start in first person. I blah, blah, blah. Wow. Well, wow. Wow. Because that entire book is third person. Yes, it is. Wow. Yes. Unlike my second book, where there is a first person that remains through the whole um, through the whole book in, in the second novel, The Brink of Freedom, there is one character that um, stayed in, uh, f- in first person throughout the whole book. And he connects all the other characters. Um, all the other characters are in third person past tense, but he remains throughout the book in first person um, okay. present tense. Okay. Yeah. So I have one, like the one I'm working on now. I have, I've, I like writing first person and the one I'm working on now, I'm, I'm first person with my heroine, but there are scenes which take place in the sixties, actually 1968, mm-hmm. which uh, I thought, no, I, I know I'm breaking rules here, but this has to be in third person. And um, it, it works because it's not, there are there are not too many scenes in the third person. Yeah. And yeah. like it it's also part of the mother's story. So, you know, it anyways, anyways, anyways. So that, that I find that that's neat. I find that very fascinating. I think I think with writing, experimenting is a is a good thing. Like understanding, you know, with again going back to the brink of freedom, I had all the characters, and I think there's six of them. I mean, God, I'm telling you, lots of voices. <laughs> Um, um, I had them all in first person. And then I remember, you know, my publisher had asked me for the, the manuscript. And so I sent it to her and she sent me a note back fairly quickly. This is not working still, oh. <laughs> you know, but I had, you know, cause I wanted to experiment with it, yeah. and, you know, um, and see if I could do that, if there could be, enough of the distinction that people could, you know, the reader could see that, oh, this was this person and this was another person, you know, et cetera. But it just didn't work. And it it took somebody else looking at it to tell me it's not working um, because I was sort of committed to that. And uh, so that's where I changed the others and then kept, well, who was the voice that first came to me? And of course it was the little refugee um, boy yeah. who um, came to me first. And um, so I kept him in a first person and it works because he also connects all the other characters, whether it's, you know, the, the aid worker or the police officer or the families that are involved, he connects them. Um, so it worked, but I think a a lot of it has to do with experimentation too. And, and, you know, um, being brave enough to, 
do that and then humble enough to go okay it's not working i'm gonna have to try again yeah yeah. (laughs) it's a process right it's a process it takes years god and you Uh, know yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah so you have many i i just learned this okay i can't yeah this i I learned this from a coworker. He said this to me about two years ago, and I just kind of looked at him and I had to ask him what it meant. But you have a few drop the mic moments. Okay. <laughs> and the first one for me was with Ernest Hemingway. And uh, do you want to tell our listeners um, about Ernest Hemingway and 1922, 1922, and the newspaper he worked for. He worked for the Toronto Star. (laughs) (laughs) He worked for the Toronto Star from um, 1920, I think, to 1924. And, uh, you know, got a, a regular gig and then became the international, you know, like the international correspondent. And he was actually in Turkey um, when, you know, Turkey won the Turkish, the Turkish uh, Greek conflict after World War One, which the book deals with as well. And he was in Turkey covering um, the retreat of the Greek, you know, the Greek army from from Turkey. So I just, um, it was just interesting finding that he was there, that he worked for the Toronto Star. Yeah. And covered this particular event. So um, it was just something that uh, was it allowed me to, um, again, fold that into um, the book. Because, again, it's something that people probably didn't know. Because he's, you know, famous for other, you know, his writing. He's Ernest Hemingway. Yeah, yeah he's Ernest Hemingway. But, you know, he was, a, yes, he was a reporter for the Toronto Star. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I know when I read that, I was like, what? Say what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't make that part up. (laughs) Wow. So now the second drop the mic moment for me is when I finished reading this, your, your book. In the author's note, you say, this is a work of fiction with one significant difference. The encounters relayed in Callie's section and much of the storyline are true. And now, it was through your researching, your family history, mm-hmm. that the outline of this novel came together? Yes. Yeah. It was, it's, it's really interesting because um, I had gone to various places, you know, my grandmother had been born in Noxos and my grandfather in Kiparesia, and uh, I visited both, did a bunch of things, you know, tried to find my, you know, history, etc. And um, I had heard about land that, you know, since I was a kid, that, you know, the family owned land in Kiparesia, blah, blah, blah. And so um, my father, uh, on uh, one of the last trips 
um, came with us. And uh, I went to the land office in Cappadocia with my dad because my dad spoke five languages fluently, Greek being one of them. And uh, so I said, we're going to the land titles office and we're going to put, you know, we're going to ask and figure this out once and for all. And um, he said, okay. So we went and of course we stopped and asked where the office was and people were giving us advice and telling us other people with the same last names as us, ours and whatever. Anyway, we finally get there and I asked this woman um, in my bad Greek and she says, oh, I speak English. And so I tell her, you know, and she said, you know, well, just like in your country, you need to have an address. Yeah. It didn't even occur to me. <laughs> it didn't even occur to me. I don't know why. Anyway, so um, I said, yeah, and she said, she suggested, you know, talking to some of the older people in the village and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. And so we're walking back um, to the place we were staying. And I said, well, I think this is it, dad. I don't think we're going to find this land. And, um, and then the truck goes by just as it does in the book and yeah. with the, my name on like the Leventiani's name at the top. And he happens to stop uh, because he's picking up his son. He's taking um, watermelon to uh, Kalamata. And so I asked him, oh, you know, I, I caught up and I asked him and my dad had a conversation with him. He said, well, I don't know if we're related, but here's, a card call me and I'll uh, you know I'll ask my father and so I you know my father my father says oh don't bother the man you know like he because he said he was going to come back from Kalamata I think that evening so my dad says oh don't bother the man like it's fine you know and whatever we're probably not related it's it's enough and uh, you've done enough and I go you know I never listened to my father (laughs) (laughs) and I phoned the man and he said well my father his father will come to the hotel and uh, tomorrow and uh, so we waited and he came and we had this lovely conversation he put out all these family maps and stuff that neither we couldn't figure out if they were related and he says pame and I go you know pame means in Greek come on and we get in his car and he takes us to his house he feeds us calls somebody in Athens who my father talks to and I could I, I could hear that there's relatives that are there talking about relatives that I know of, like my aunts. And then on the way back to the hotel, he, as the book starts, he points to a piece of land and he, he says my grandmother's name. And I, I mean, I go, dad, that's it. I mean, it just was, it was just such a surprise. And then I tell my aunt about this and she tells me about how the, you know, then she talks about, you know, I went there once trying to find the land and I couldn't. And somebody asked me if I was with the royalists or if I was with the, you know, um, the prime minister. And, you know, are you with us or are you against us? And she said, I just left town because obviously there was some kind of vendetta and I couldn't, I wasn't going to be part of anything like that. And, but the word vendetta stuck with me. And I started to think about, well, what could have started a vendetta, a family vendetta that would have resulted in the family coming apart. Yeah. So some, some of it of course is made up be, you know, I mean, it's fiction in the novel because 
I don't know if, uh, you know, if there was a family uh, kind of vendetta or not. I know the outline of what happened in the world at the time and how, yes, some people, some families were one side and some families were on the other side. Um, but whether or not my particular family, I mean, I know my grandfather was probably in World War One as well yeah. as World War Two. I know that he lost his you know, he lost touch with his brother and um, we never knew, he never knew what happened to him. So I knew the framework, some of the, you know, sort of framework of it, but none of the details because, you know, people are long gone. And yeah. and it, it really fit, it fit back into the things that I've, I think I've struggled with my whole life, which is where do I belong? Yeah. You know, it comes back to the theme yeah. of, you know, you're you're born in one country that doesn't you don't belong in, i.e. Cairo, um, yeah. you know, and then you leave there and come to another country where you're you, you know, become a citizen, but you're not, uh, you know, born here. And then you're raised by <laughs> by, you know, in in by Greeks, like, you know, in the Greek way yeah. with the Greek culture. And so it's it's kind of confusing. Yeah. And oh, yeah, where, where is it that you actually finally fit? Yeah. Um, that's really where the genesis of the book came from. And also my aunt's words, you know, vendetta. I just love that word. <laughs> so, so my question is. Yeah. So my, when I'm reading this, I'm thinking to myself, are you Callie in the novel? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, yeah. Stella. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. We're, we're, uh, I, I've got, I've, okay. I, you've, I'm kind of thrown off my game plan here. <laughs> so when, you're saying the title of your book, Finding Caladore. Would you say that you're finding yourself? Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's uh, And I've been asked this. I've been to many book clubs, and it's so interesting. Somebody said to me, and this was, of course, before the pandemic, and I could go to book clubs <laughs> and um, have readings and that kind of thing. And I think it was in Pemberton. Somebody said to me, so have you finally found yourself? And I, it, was, it was so sweet. And Because I, I think that, you know, I am a very, very proud Canadian. Uh, my parents were as well. I mean, they were, they were so, um, they missed their home for sure. All their lives, um, they missed their home. Um, but uh, they were very proud Canadians as I am. But a piece of me yeah. is, you know, as a plane, as a plane arrives in Athens, or as I mentioned, I lived in Italy for two years because it's very similar, very similar culture. Yeah. Um, I, I remember, you know, going into a project in Italy. I know nothing about, haven't met the client, haven't done anything. I'm 
coming and flying into Rome. And I thought, I'm coming home. It's the yeah. same feeling I have when I fly into Athens. It's like I'm coming home. It's it's strange. I mean, I grew up in Canada. I came to Canada when I was six years old. Like, I don't know any other... Really, I don't, except that I've been to Greece many times uh, with my family and then afterwards as well. And uh, so, and I was raised Greek. Yeah. Um, I, it's interesting. Another thing, I was in a book club for my first book, uh, Nikolai's Daughters in Calgary. And somebody said to me, because I said something very similar. <laughs> and he, he said, well, why do you say, you know, you're Greek if you were born in Egypt? And I'm, I said, well, because I didn't have Egyptian citizenship. It's different than in Canada where you're born in Canada, you're a Canadian citizen, you know, you're Canadian. Um, in Egypt, in Greece, you're not. I mean, unless you're Greek or, or you're Egyptian or whatever. And um, so I said to him, well, I was raised Greek. It's all I, it's all I really know. I've been back to Egypt. I've been back to Cairo for sure. Um, but I, it's still what I know is how I was raised with the Greek food, with the discussions, with all of the stuff that is, uh, for me, Greek. Yeah. Okay. So you go from Cairo, you were born in Cairo, but you lived in Calgary? <laughs> That is quite the jump there. <laughs> yes, I know. It's um, it's so interesting because I think my parents were so brave, um, you know, uh, to make such a big leap. Uh, they, um, they, my father had a business in Cairo, um, and my grandfather was there. You know, my grandfather had left Greece to after the war, you know, First World War and the Greek-Turkish conflict, and went to Egypt to start a business, and. Uh, and, uh, and then my father took it over. And then at the time, um, which was the early 60s, uh, was uh, the president was President Nasser. Wow. And he nationalized many of the European businesses, because according to my parents, um, there was, and from history, I mean, it's hard to see it when you go after the fact, but it was quite cosmopolitan. Um, Cairo and uh, very a huge European influence, a huge Greek community, huge Italian community, French community, etc. And uh, very cosmopolitan. I think they were for my parents. It was their heyday. I mean, they always um, talked very fondly about Cairo. It was a little different when we went back as a family. It was a very, very different. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, so it was a big jump for them. But they, you know, my father always felt like he was thrown out of Egypt um, because of the nationalization of European businesses. And um, I often wondered why he didn't go to Greece because he's Greek. Um, um, but he felt that there were more opportunities in Canada for him and for his family. And in particular, they were concerned about us. Yeah. They were concerned about their three children and doing well and having a safe life and a good life and that kind of thing. And that's what brought them. I mean, that, I, I still think how brave they were in their 30s to bring three small children um, and their family all the way um, to Calgary, Alberta. Boy. Oh. <laughs> and I have to give a shout out to, uh, I had her, Haig uh, Bohm. Haiga. Haiga. Yeah, Haiga. Yeah, because 
I listened to her podcast. Very well done. Very yes. well done. Yes, it was. And um, she had she had asked you a question, and I thought it was great. Where your I remember your answer. You had said that even then, your mother found Greek yogurt. Yeah, well, she made Greek yogurt. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think she made the, um, she made it from scratch. That woman was, you know, uh, my father used to say her hands were magic. I don't have those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she used to make all these Greek desserts and Greek yogurt back in the day when there was no Greek yogurt uh, yeah. in Calgary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. So, we're going to switch gears a bit, and uh, I am very curious about the writing studio. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what it was about. Um, are there prerequisites to, you know, or, um, just I know nothing about it. So let's say I retire. Um, what does a person need to attend or to apply for to be a part of the writer studio, and is it something that's virtual or is it an in person? Mm-hmm. At the moment, uh, I'll go back in a minute, for a minute. The program there were two components to it. There is an an in house program, um, which has had to go virtual uh, because of the pandemic, and there is an online program. Uh, both run for 10 months and um, are a combination of coursework as well as workshop. Um, So um, there are, I believe, six mentors now, um, fiction, uh, nonfiction, uh, YA, a young adult, and uh, speculative fiction. Um, my area is, uh, oh, and there's poetry, and my area is a combined uh, fiction, nonfiction. It's actually fiction and personal narrative. And there is now a sixth mentor in that program, which is uh, fiction and nonfiction. Okay. And, um, and the program runs 10 months. Uh, whether it's in-house or whether it's the uh, online, because they're very they're very similar. Coursework plus workshops, and so you are workshopping. Um, there are nine students per mentor, um, and you stay together for the ten um, the ten months. And uh, so you're workshopping every two weeks over the ten months. Your work with the idea of um, completing a project um, by the end of you know the the ten months, whether it's a you know in my case we my group is working this year um i have uh, people who are working in um memoir uh fiction sci-fi uh and um and mystery as well um and so what i really like about it is the combination of coursework and um and the workshop which helps you know, because you're reading, you're reviewing your each other's work, the students are reviewing each other's work, and you have a mentor also leading that discussion and reviewing the work. And aside from that, uh, students also have a cross-genre or uh, uh, module. So say you are working in my particular area, but you're also interested in poetry. Yeah. So you will take a module in poetry with another mentor. Okay. Um, 
um, and uh, you'll have to do an assignment. And again, it's a critique kind of thing where you're reviewing the, the work uh, in that cross genre. And um, so it, it's just, I can't say enough about it. The whole goal and what I tell my students is that um, by the end of it, um, they should continue on with their group okay. uh, because they, you know, it builds that um, thing that we don't have as writers, i.e. a deadline, <laughs> because you have to, you know, you have to have your work in to the critique group by a certain time, you've got a deadline. So it motivates you to write. And so that's one thing that is really a, a strength of the program, um, because you are coming together with nine other people, um, and that you stay together my recommendation and my groups, if this is my fifth year of doing this, and three of my five years uh, groups have um, have continued on together because you get to know each other's work, right, intimately. Um, and then they continue on beyond the program. And so it's really great. Um, there's also um, the other strength to it is that um, near the end, there's a focus on a final portfolio and a publication in Emerge magazine, which is Simon Fraser University's um, literary magazine. So you also get that opportunity, but you also get an opportunity to write things like a cover letter, yeah. write, um, you know, um, a synopsis of your book, um, those kinds of things that you typically you wouldn't get that kind of access and, and ability to work with an editor to do. Um, and you get feedback and then you can use that once you leave uh, the program. I'm myself a graduate of the in um, the in-person uh, program back in, oh, I think it was 2004, <laughs> 2004. So I just can't say enough about it. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful program. Well, I hope, I'm hoping I retire this year and I'm always looking for ways that I can be a better writer. You know, I, I don't believe that just because you have a book published that your your learning stops. Yeah. No. I, I <laughs> God no. no. And I hope that I will continue and continue and continue to learn to be a better writer. Yeah. Yeah, I know because it is it's it's a process and even if you have three books it's it, every one is as painful <laughs> because you're an artist. Yeah. I mean, that's the difference. It's, you know, it's really interesting to me um, because some, sometimes I have students who say, well, can't you tell me this? You know, the writing is not formulaic. It's not like, you know, in my career, I wrote business plans. I wrote pre-sentence reports. I've written, you know, uh, strategic plans, change management, plans. like it goes on and on. But all of those follow a formula. I could go into any company or go back and work in corrections, you know, and know what is required because it follows a certain outline. Yeah. Um, and you know some of the questions you're going to ask that you have to ask, et cetera. When you, when you write a book or even a short story, yeah. every single time it's brand new. Yeah. You've never done it before. Yeah, you've written three books. Yeah, you've written short stories, whatever it is. It's still brand new. What worked before doesn't necessarily work um, in the new project. Yeah. So, And I'm finding I just received my, my first set of edits back from my editor. 
And it's interesting what she has picked up, you know, and, and mm-hmm. wow, she is thorough. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. that's that is not a complaint pip that's not a complaint that like <laughs> she is thorough and yeah. sometimes i don't want to say her name too much because i don't want to lose her <laughs> like everybody's gonna be like who who does she have yeah. <laughs> you know but um she has noticed things such as joanna your heroine she had a real sense of style in the first book not seeing that so much with yes. the second so it's like okay you know and, and it's like yeah. okay so let's let let the week we got i've got some work to do you know yeah. and yeah. i you know yeah. even with that though yeah. it's the thing that we are so close to it yeah. because we're living it and writing about it and whatever it does take those other eyes to look at it and go oh what about this even in, is you know once you have a published book it's so interesting i go to, again as i said book clubs and readings and that kind of thing and somebody will ask me a question or this or they'll say this is what i you know it felt like for me when i read it or this is what i felt like it was about and <laughs> I look at them and I go, that's great that you found that in that book, but it's not what I necessarily was writing about. You know, it's just interesting how readers, editors, and others, what they find in the book that you had no idea you had there, right? Yeah. 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 It's art. That's the the great thing about art. Also the frustration about art. (laughs) (laughs) So... If you're with me, we're going to switch gears again a little bit because I, I I want to get into the Whistler Writers Festival. It is a stellar event. Um, you know, you, you hear about other big writing conferences and festivals, and sometimes they'll hear some authors say that, oh, if you want to go to the festivals of all festivals, you need to go to this festival, right? Yeah. And I loved Whistler. Oh, Thank I loved you. I loved the Whistler Writers Festival. Um, I just, oh, oh, I'm missing that, right? And um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, can I share one little story? That, yes, absolutely. Okay, okay. So, I remember, okay, it was, I had met up with Carol Ann and uh, I, I, I left from dinner and I came back to the hotel. And a few authors were um, in the the bar. Like, so it, it was loud. Okay, it was great. And we were sitting at by this this fireplace. And like I say, there was a, a few authors. Mm-hmm. There was an editor from one of the big Toronto houses yeah. sitting on the sofa in our area and the table was just covered with food and and glasses and it was it was great and um the one of the people I was with she got us all started in a group conversation and it was um you know say uh say when 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 did you feel validated as an author okay so this is our conversation after having a couple of glasses of wine and so everybody is going around the table okay and we're all saying, they're all saying when they felt validated and that the editor is right there. Okay. Yeah. It came to my turn and I turn and at that moment, the server came and he says, can I, 
get you ladies anything else, right? Right when I was going to say, when I felt validated, okay? And I remember I was quiet, but in my head, I'm screaming, no, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, no, we've got alcohol, we've got booze. I'm thinking he's ruining my moment. <laughs> right? So, but I didn't, but that was like the, the, oh, that was the conversation going on yeah. in my head. Right. And uh, so then he, no one wanted anything. He left and then boom, the conversation changed again. So I never got my chance. Oh, that's so bad. Right. But I laugh at it. I laughed at it, you know, cause I thought. Well, answer the question now, Joanna. Oh, when did I feel validated? Oh, so yeah. thank you. And look at this. My dog's going to interrupt me. Hey, what is this karma? So I would say I felt validated. It was, it was a situation where we were at the, we still lived in Victoria and um, it was, I was working on something. I can't remember what it was. And <laughs> Aussie <laughs> had to go out for a break and uh, I remember I, I took him out and I was standing you know in the little grass area with him holding on to the leash and like I say something heavy was going on yeah. and it wasn't the pandemic okay and I remember my neighbor Aussie come on man <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> my neighbor she drove down the driveway into our condominium condo area and yeah. she rolled down, like pressed the button, rolled the window down, and she just said, Joanna, I am so enjoying your book. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and there's Carl. Yeah. My dog is barking throughout. <laughs> okay, just one second. One second, Stella. Well, Ozzy is not happy with me. <laughs> He's outside now. Okay, so what I want to know is, how how did it come together? Okay, um, like I say, I think with a Whistler writing conference is stellar, and um, what I want just how did it come together? Like how did you like like did you think you wanted to have a, a writers <laughs> festival? Like not everybody just boom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I know it's the insane part of me, as I said. <laughs> Um, you know, it really came together because I put an ad in the paper, as I said, and people came to the door and we tried, we started with, you know, discussing each other's work and that kind of thing. And I took a course, I think, um, in 2001 on um, the Sunshine Coast with Andrea Schroeder, the writer Andrea Schroeder, and um, it, which was really, really useful. And uh I uh, I came out of that and came home and went, well, you know, why don't we put on a writer's festival and see how that goes? And um, and then invited, I invited Andreas, actually. Oh, wow. And the first one, uh, the first festival, and I'm putting this in quotation marks because there was like 20, 25 people. They were my living room. Oh, wow. And Andreas stayed with us. And um, he stayed with us. And then there were two men as well. One from the, um, one from the, um, 
the Valley, um, Abbotsford, I think, and another person who phoned me and said, I've heard about your festival and, um, I, you know, can I come? And I said, yes. And he said, well, I don't have a place to stay. Is it okay if I stay in your driveway in my car? And I go, no, you're going to stay in my house. What do you mean in my driveway? And so, so, um, so there were the two men that I didn't know. Most of the other people were locals. We had a reading event on the Friday night and a potluck, which is my absolute favorite thing. Um, and uh, again, I think there were probably 25 people um, that that night. And then on um, Saturday, we had a workshop and Andreas also reviewed the manuscripts of 10 or 10 writers um, who participated and gave them feedback. And uh, we workshopped and the thing was done by about 4.30 that day on the Saturday. And Andreas came up by a motorcycle. So he went home and the other two guys went home. And one of them, it was so funny. He offered to pay me for the accommodation. I go, you're in my house. <laughs> and so that's where it started. It started um, in 2001 that way. It was a summer. And then I experimented in the following years with master classes and critique groups and you know, having one reading event. It has um, morphed into um, mostly now uh, uh, reading events as well as master classes for emerging authors. And we do have a publishing day as well on Friday where um, we do a sort of a, a publisher's workshop and then people can pitch to a publisher one-on-one on Friday afternoon. And, uh, and then we've got a bunch of other events uh, as well. But, you know, when you're talking, you, when you were talking about, you know, being at the, at the bar, you know, with all the authors sitting around and an editor and, and that sort of thing, that is, in my opinion, the strength of the festival. 20 years now, this will be our 20th year in 2021. Wow. And it feels as though we've never left my living room, even though we have, <laughs> because that intimacy, the fact that you can sit around, that you as a participant can sit next to an author, that a guest author and an editor and other people who are particip- you know, participating is what I go for. It's what is really important about the festival. You're not sitting in a theater with 500 other people. Um, you're sitting either at tables or you're, you know, sitting at the bar or whatever, um, you know, and have that contact uh, with with uh, the author and I have a, you know, an example, one of the authors was, um, who was here a few years ago, um, a book club unbeknownst to me, uh, phoned his room and said, you know, we'd like to buy you a drink. And he, you know, was very nice and went down. I didn't find out about this until breakfast because I had breakfast with him and um, to say goodbye before he left. And he said, well, this book club came, you know, phoned me. So I came down, they bought me dinner, they bought me a drink and we had a great old time. <laughs> like, I don't want to advertise this too much though. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, and we've had other, you know, authors stop in the hallway and talk to a fan, you know, uh, a participant for, you know, 15, 20 minutes or one night, one time for almost the, you know, a few hours um, because, 
you know, that's you, everyone is kind of in the same, staying in the same place. And so you have that access, um, which I think is, is just wonderful. It's, it's an intimate event. That's the strength of it, I think. Well, and the workshops, I remember the workshops, the workshops were great. And uh, yeah, I, I, uh, so last year, man, I, I, that must, you must've, did you feel like you literally, well, first thing you must feel so proud to see how it has grown. You, you should be so proud because it, it, it's a, a wonderful event. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And, um, and I'm just thinking last year, did you like, is it true? You pretty much, you, you really don't get a day off from once the festival is over, like you're pretty much back at it, organizing the next one. Yeah. Typically the, you know, there's a lot of final reports and that kind of thing. And people start to pitch their, you know, publishers start to pitch, you know, late in November. So there is some time off for sure. It's not as hectic, but it's, you know, you're writing reports, you're writing all sorts of other things and starting to plan for the, you know, for the future festival. But I think 2019 was really difficult because I had, um, or do you mean 2020 was difficult. I'm sorry, 2020 was difficult. Yeah. Who am I? Where am I? That's okay. <laughs> what year am I in? Uh, felt like the rug was pulled out from underneath you. It was because you know I had um, many of the invitations out um, in January and February, yeah. and um, I would say 60 to 70 percent, maybe 75 percent of authors had already up you know, had accepted my invitation. Um, And then everything closed down in March. And I went silent for a long time, because I just didn't know what was going to happen. We talked about it, you know, the board and uh, what were we going to do, etc. And it wasn't until June, that we made the decision, me kicking and screaming, I'm telling you, um, to go virtual. And uh, I just... I really, really like people and the whole, like we talked about the intimacy, the, all these things that I feel are a strength. How do you get that when you're across, you know, a screen? Um, And, uh, you know, we definitely built in some, you know, app praise so people could um, sit and talk to each other about the book and talk to the author and that kind of thing. But it's still not the same as sitting in a bar and, and share, you know, sitting right in front of, of um, the author that you admire and just having a discussion. Uh, but anyway, we made the decision in June um, of last year. And uh, then I had to go back to the people who had accepted and said, you know, we are, we're going to do this virtually. How do you feel about it? And I would say 95% of those people, 98% said yes. Right. It came along for the ride and um, just, and the rest came in, you know, and by that time I knew it was going to be virtual. We did a lot of rehearsals. Um prior to it felt almost like you know you were doing two festivals because we did dry run like a rehearsal two weeks in advance so we could test the technology we could make sure everything worked um and uh it worked really well and you know even though i'd gone kicking and screaming um on the sunday at the end of the the brunch the end of the last event which was not the brunch actually there was a reading after that but uh 
I, I, when we shut down, I basically said to um, Rebecca Wood Barrett, who's the festival manager, um, I could see where we could do a hybrid uh, model because we had people come from all over the world, Australia, Europe, the US, uh, all different parts of Canada, the North, um, that may not get an opportunity to come. Um, there were people who joined us who, for whatever reason, whether it's financial or some other kind of um, setback, couldn't come. And um, the virtual event allowed them to. Okay. And so for me, going forward, it has to be a hybrid model. Yeah. Um, again, I'm not sure for 2021. My goal is a hybrid model, uh, which would be in person and also a um, you know videoed so yeah. that people can join in um, at the time of the event. So it'll add an extra complication. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, you know what the heck. Yeah. <laughs> You can roll with it. You can do it. <laughs> I don't know how many more times, but, <laughs> but um, that's my goal. And we'll just wait and see at the moment. It's not looking good, um, but uh, I mean, at the, you know, the bottom line is we will do it virtually if we have to. Yeah. Um, again, um, it was a huge success and I was just so proud of the very few people, very few of us put this thing together and, uh, you know, you're a jack of all trades and it came together really just phenomenally. It had some incredibly positive feedback. And so I feel very um, grateful. Well, con congratulations. Thank, I'm, you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I can tell you my sister and I, my oldest sister is an author and we are already talking 2022 in person so, right on yeah. yeah you better yeah yeah better believe it we are yeah so Stella in your newsletter I, I I got a copy of your newsletter I'm going to sign up for your newsletter you write you actually you quote Jackson Brown Jr and it's the quote is opportunity dances with those already on the dance floor so what's your next dance besides the <laughs> um, Well, I'm working on a new project, have been for a while, and it's, uh, it's, it's a complete, complete sideways <laughs> um, shuffle uh, because it is speculative fiction. Uh, I know, I know, I don't know, you know... <laughs> Why this? Why now? I have no idea. Um, I think probably, and it's, it was started before the pandemic, so it doesn't really have anything to do with the pandemic, but it's sort of, I wonder about the walls, you know, because walls have been a big thing, right, um, that have been talked about, um, mostly with, you know, in the US, but, uh, you know, when I started to do some research, it looks, <laughs> it appears that there are other walls in the world, um, as well, keeping in particular refugees um, out of certain countries in, you know, Eastern Europe, for example. And, uh, and so I wondered about those walls, like, why do people build? Why do, you know, governments and people build walls? Um, and I, I feel 
as though you wouldn't build those walls if you didn't build those walls inside of yourself to keep yourself at, you know, away from somebody else, to yeah. keep somebody out, somebody not to get close. And um, so that's what I'm exploring. It's, uh, it started that way. And it's, uh, it begins in, um, in uh, 2056. Oh, and, wow. Um, yeah, I know it's strange. Uh, cool. <laughs> even as I talk about it, I think, God, am I, I mean, this is really strange. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, but I, I'm having fun with it. And it also brings in because it's very different. It, it doesn't have any of my Greek, I was going to say it doesn't have any of my Greek roots, except that it does have a chorus. And the chorus is um, uh, similar to old Greek mythology that uses actually uses two Greek gods from mythology. And they're kind of not only narrate, they start by narrating what's going on in their in the world below them, yeah. um, but now they're manipulating as well. So it does have a little bit of my heritage um, in in the book. I have no idea where it's going, how it's going to turn out, but I I have a lot of fun with the. Um, with the gods actually it's a lot of fun because god knows you know we don't know. <laughs> um, um, and it's moving slowly but it's moving and um, so we'll see where it goes it sounds fascinating well i don't know it sounds like right out there actually <laughs> oh. Oh. well stella this has been an absolute joy an absolute joy thank you so much for doing this joanna yeah so is there anything anything you'd like to add anything because i know i have authors i have readers i have just you know people wanting to have a connection i have mm. i have to give a shout out to cj smith in the united states who is like an avid listener anything you would like to add no, I don't think so. I really appreciate this. I think that if people want to connect with me, they could connect through, you know, my uh, website, stellaharvey.com and also um, email. You know, I get so many emails. This is the nicest thing. I don't know if this happens to you, Joanna, but I get emails from people um, after they read my book to tell me how they feel about it. Yeah. You know, I had an email from actually through Facebook, I think, uh, connected someone uh, who read the Greek version of Nikolai's Daughters, my first novel. And she said, she said in Greek, um, I feel like I'm holding your soul in my hands. I, it's so sweet. Wow. And then, I, you know, with the last book, with Vining Caladora, someone um, uh, wrote to me on November, the weekend of November 11th, and said, I've, I read your book in one sitting, like, you know, and um, I just felt it was so appropriate because it deals with World War I, World War II, et cetera. And um, just how much she enjoyed it and how much, how, how she felt about it, having read it during November, you know, the November 11th weekend. So I love emails and my email is Stella underscore Harvey at telus.net. And I've given you my website, StellaHarvey.com. Um, and I've got Facebook and, you know, Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram and on and on. <laughs> 
it goes. So whatever, any way anybody wants to communicate. I love questions. And as I always say, I just think that even um, when somebody doesn't understand something or wonders about something, or I had a, in one book club, somebody not like one of my characters, you know, and she was so upset with one of my characters. But even that, you know, it, it makes you feel like, great, you got um, it. Yeah, it was, it touched you. Yeah. somehow right yeah. um so yeah. i'm I, I like people talking you know like yeah. i love conversation as you can tell i've talked <laughs> to you all <laughs> well i haven't had um emails as poetic as yours i remember i had a reader she really enjoyed the novel um the first book and I saw her in person, so that was really that was that was really neat. Um, yes. She 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 had popped at that time when I worked in an office. She had popped into the office to meet a coworker, and the coworker brought her in to see me. And she told me how much she really enjoyed the novel because my yeah. heroine rides a motorcycle. She rides a motorcycle. Yeah. But then she said to me, and I'm using this. So then she said to me, she goes, yeah, but you know what, Joanna, with your heroine, Jade, can you throw her a burger or something? We never see her eat. Just give her a burger or something. That poor girl needs to eat. <laughs> I laughed. So, yeah, this one, this sec book, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I remedied the situation. It's more than a burger. <laughs> okay. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> well, Stella, I'll let you go. Thank you for, for coming on my podcast. Thank you so much, Joanna. Thank you.